Well, it is, uh, again, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm getting to know your pastor, Pastor Philip, uh, and I, I love this guy. <laughs> he is great. Um, and I'm sure, and I know Angie does too, she, she said that earlier, she loves him. So just want to make sure that that's recorded for everybody to hear. Um, but uh, he is uh, such a unique man and has brought so much to the children's home. He is one of our board of directors. And so, uh, again, just thankful for his leadership uh, and just for his friendship. And so it is great to be here again this morning uh, to share God's Word with you. And so um, Pastor Philip asked that I continue in the series, uh, this series in John uh, called Heal the Hurting. And so this morning we're going to be in John 4, uh, 43 through 54. John 4, 43 through 54. And so as I was uh, studying and preparing for this, uh, it, it appeared to me that a good title for this message would be uh, Magician or Messiah. Why do you believe in Jesus? And so you, I think you'll start to see uh, why I picked this title as we go through this text. So let's go ahead and read John 4, 43 through 54. And it says, After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official, official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And he was going down. His servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, it's about one o'clock, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our minds to these words. Lord, that you would speak to us through your self-revelation here in the book, in the Gospel of John. So Lord, be with us. I pray, Lord, that we would know you better and know how to live our lives that would give you glory as a result of this text. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so recently, um, my wife, uh, Laura, and my oldest, Riley, uh, we watched a movie called uh, The Greatest Showman. Um, so we watched it on DVD, um, and so uh, it's about P.T. Barnum. And we, again, we just watched this the other night. Um, we did not see it in the theater. Uh, I, the Lord has blessed my wife and I with four children, so we're a family of six. We don't go to the theater often. 
it's like a million dollars if you take a family of six to the theater. So um, we, we love Redbox. Redbox is our friend. And so uh, we rented this movie, The uh, Greatest Showman, about P.T. Barnum. And so um, oftentimes when I'm watching a movie, especially if it has any type of um, historic account, I am... I've either read some books about it or, in this case, I pull up uh, P.T. Barnum, I do a Google search, and I read all that Wikipedia has to offer about P.T. Barnum. Um, And I'm looking at the movie and I'm saying, okay, that's not right, that's not right, oh yeah, that's right. And so, you know, I'm that guy. Um, If I've read a book uh, and then we watch a movie, the book is always better, and uh, and I'll point out where those things are wrong. And I've passed that on (laughs) to my children, uh, which is a lot of fun. And so... One thing that the movie had that is true is that P.T. Barnum was the greatest showman. He was a great showman. Uh, He was able to attract people from all over to come to his museum, uh, to come to his circus, to see unique things, to see amazing things, to see these neat people and these neat things that were taking place. Uh, In a lot of ways, he reminds me of uh, magicians. Uh, Magicians like David Copperfield or David Blaine or Houdini, you know, where crowds would come, crowds would follow uh, these individuals to see something amazing, something that seems to defy uh, nature, right? Um, That's why people uh, would, would, would go to these events and go see them. And so here in the text, we see that's what was happening here with Jesus, People were amazed at what he was doing, and they were following him uh, because of the Jesus show, because they were, he was doing signs, and they were amazed at this supernatural uh, ability that he had. We know this because in verse 45, it says, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too were at the feast, right? And so what was he doing? Well, in chapter 2, verse 23, it says, When he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. They believed in Jesus because he was doing these signs. Um, They they, they liked the, the show that he was putting on. But as we will see in this text, that belief was shallow. That belief uh, really was a faulty faith. Um, the point of today's message is don't believe in Jesus because of his supernatural abilities, yet believe in Jesus because of, for his supernatural essence. We believe in Jesus not because of what he can do, but because of who he is. Last week, um, Pastor Philip walked through Uh, the encounter with the Samaritan uh, woman. And so here in verse 43, we see that after two days, he parted uh, for Galilee. So he's in Samaria, and then two days later, he heads uh, to Galilee. And so now he's here, and the Galileans, they welcome him. But the welcome is not the homecoming that Jesus deserves. Uh, The first thing that we see in this text is that this is a spurious homecoming. It's not genuine. And so early in Jesus' ministry, as I said, he was gaining followers. People were uh, amazed at what was taking place. In chapter uh, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, The Pharisees heard uh, Jesus was making more disciples than John the Baptist. So he was getting a following. People were following Jesus. 
They were intrigued by what was taking place, and they wanted to see what was happening. And again, in, in, verse, uh, in chapter 2, verse 23, he says that they believed in him. But there's a problem. There's, there's something that's not right. And so here in the text, we can see um, it's very clear that, that there is a problem and that something's not right, and that something is verse 44. Verse 44 tells us. It says that uh, there's this little proverb that Jesus quoted, quotes, and he says, For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. What does that mean? That seems like an odd saying right in the middle. Um, they welcome him. They're, they're, you know, people are following Jesus, and yet we see this proverb. And so a lot of it hinges on this one word in the Greek called patris, and it's, it means hometown, or it can mean homeland. And so in this case, homeland would be Galilee, uh, the Galilean region, um, Jesus' home area. Or hometown would be more specific, and that would be Nazareth. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, every time they use this word, it always refers to Nazareth. But here in this text, that really doesn't fit. uh, One, it it doesn't even mention Nazareth. Um, And so there have been a lot of people, a lot of smart people speculate on what does this mean? What does this word mean here? Um, It could mean that Jesus' birthplace. So it could mean all the way back to Judea, to Bethlehem. That could be what they're talking about, his hometown. He just left there, um, and he wasn't received well. He was rejected there. Or some have said it it could mean heaven. Um, D.A. Carson, I think, really hits the nail on the head here. He suggests that it's referring to not just Galilee or Judea. It's not one against the other, but it's really that Jewish soil. And so he's heading back to his hometown. He's heading back to his Jewish people. Because remember the context here. Remember what is happening. He was just in Samaria, not Jewish soil not his hometown. He just left there, and so now he's heading back to his home people, his own kind. And you, say, you may ask, you know, why does this even matter? <laughs> why do you care? Um, and I think it matters because I believe John is drawing a contrast here between the faith of the Samaritans and the faith and the superficial faith of the Jews. It's a faulty faith that the Jews have, and so he's wanting us to make sure he understands uh, the difference here. So Jesus is quoting this to show that difference between the Jewish audience and their reception to his message versus the Samaritans and their reception to the message. Uh, You see, the Samaritan in Samaria, uh, Jesus, he enjoyed success. There was no uh, opposition. The woman at the well, she was open to hearing the gospel. And they believed that he was, in fact, the Messiah. In verse 42, we read this. It says, uh, they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. He's the Messiah. They get it. Now, back on his own soil, um, Jesus knows that he's going to be rejected, just like the Pharisees had already done back in Jerusalem when he was there for the Passover feast. So there in, in chapter 2, we read that uh, the Jews asked him when he, you know, he cleansed the temple. He cleans it out, right? And the Jews say, what sign do you show us for doing these things? In other words, who do you think you are, right? 
And in response to when Jesus said that uh, he's going to rebuild the temple in three days, you know, their, their response is, it has taken us 46 years to build the temple, and you say you're going to raise it in three, three days? Again, they're saying, dude, who do you think you are? Who are you? And so we see this contrast that the Samaritans, they got it. They knew who he was. But Jesus' own people, the Jewish people, they didn't get it. They missed it. They rejected him. And so that's why here in this welcoming, you say, well, but they're welcoming him. So this seems to contradict itself. They're welcoming, but, but it's not real. Well, verse 45, it says, because they had seen all that he had done. That's the clue here. They had seen all that he had done at the feast, and that's why they're welcoming him. They saw the miracles, and they wanted to see more. They wanted to see the Jesus show. They wanted to see all that he was doing. They welcomed him not as the Messiah, but as the worker of signs, a magician, a showman, if you will. And so their welcome was a spurious welcome. It was not a genuine welcoming for who he was. They missed the real Jesus. They missed that he was the, uh, the Messiah. Samaritans, they got it. They saw that he was, in fact, the, the, uh, the Messiah. And so here's the question for us. Why do you follow Jesus? Why do you uh, profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Is it because of what you've read and seen and he works miracles and yeah, that seems like the guy to follow? Or better yet, let me put it this way. Is it because of what you think he can do for you? Or do you follow Jesus for who he is? So is it, is Jesus like a magical genie where your prayers are more like wishes that you send up to him? Great God in the sky, will you, you know, will you please grant me these wishes? Or do you pray to a holy God, a loving God, the creator of this world? Do you pray to the real Jesus, the Messiah who came to this earth to save us from our sins? Why do you follow Jesus? Is it for what you can get from him? Or is it for who he is? You know, many of us would say, well, we're not, you know, part of that prosperity gospel where we name it and claim it, where, you know, it's all about uh, if I just have enough faith, I can be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Most of us would say, we're, we're not part of that. But in practice, in function, are we? And I think sometimes we have to ask that question. Do we, um, maybe our prayers are, you know, maybe more like, Lord, if I could just have this job over here, um, I would make more money, and if I make more money, then that would help my family, right? Lord, if I could just have that, please grant me that wish. Or maybe it's uh, teenagers, um, and I'm not saying this because maybe I was like this, but I didn't really study for my test all that well. Lord, if you'll just help me get a good grade on this test, please. I know I didn't study, but, but if you'll grant me this wish, Lord, um, that would sure make my life a whole lot easier when I get home and my parents won't get home to me. <laughs> um, you know, is that how we treat God? Or here's a tough one. Lord, will you heal me? Lord, will you heal my child? Lord, will you heal my parent? Will you heal my loved one from this sickness? Lord, that's my wish. Will you do those things? Health is a tough one. When we deal with health issues, 
Are our prayers more like wishes? Or are we praying to a God, a holy God, who loves us? And so, please hear me. What I'm saying is, when we're sick, we should pray. I'm not saying don't pray. That's not what you're hearing from me. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We should pray for everything. We should offer up prayers for everything that we do. James 5 is pretty explicit when we pray for the sick. That's something that we should do. The elders should gather together and pray for the one who's sick. So we should pray. So how do we not fall then into that that kind of prosperity gospel mindset about health and wealth? Well, I believe it's when we remember who Jesus is, the person of Christ. When we pray, we need to remember that God has our best in mind. Matthew 7, uh, 11 says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? We are to ask God. We are to pray to God. But we are to pray to God regardless of the outcome because He knows what's best for us in our life. And so when we're praying for help, we pray, and we should pray like Jesus. Not my will be done, but your will be done. And so, yes, we pray, but remember, it's our, our faith should not hinge on the outcome of that prayer because we need to trust God. When we pray, we must place our trust in God. And so we see here that Jesus, his homecoming was a spurious one because they wanted the outcome. They liked the signs, and they missed who he was. And the second thing that we see here in the text is a sign of healing. A spurious homecoming and then a sign of healing. Here we see John using uh, something called, uh, it's a literary device, something called an inclusio. And so basically what this is, it's like brackets. And so um, this is the, the close of the bracket that, of this inclusio. Verse 46 said, so he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made water into wine. So that's our first clue. Back in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, we see that Jesus was in Cana and he turned water into wine. So these are the brackets here. And so the inclusio basically is open bracket, uh, Jesus turns water into wine, the first sign. And what's the result of that first sign? His disciples believed in him. And so then Jesus cleanses the temple um, and he foretells of his uh, future uh, death and resurrection. And after that, he then tells Nicodemus that you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. And he says, God loved you in this way that he sent his only begotten son to, to, uh, to die for your sins so that you could have eternal life, right? And so that's how you are born again. And then John the Baptist, he, he then affirms that one must believe in the son. You must believe in Jesus to have eternal life, to enter into God's kingdom. And if that weren't enough, then, then John has the Samaritans, the half-breeds, the mixed race, the despised ones, he has, he has them spell it out. Hey, this is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. And so now we get to the, the final bracket, that, that bookend, the closing bracket, and we see that uh, Jesus heals a boy, and he does this without even being near him. He just says, go, and your son will be healed. 
Jesus, in this closing bracket, we see that he has the authority over life itself. This is the second sign. And what's the result of this sign? It's that the royal official believes in Jesus. We don't see that beforehand. We see that now, after the sign, that he believes in him. And then all his household believes that, yes, he is the Messiah. Closing bracket. He's, he's the Messiah. He, is, he has authority over life. It's almost as if, in contemporary times, this would be like John doing a, a mic drop and just walking away. End of story. This guy's for real. He is the Messiah, right? That's what he's saying. And so by using this this device, John is telling the readers that the one who transformed that purification water, the one for the, the rites for purification, the one who turned that into wine, basically using that as an announcement that I am the groom, that I'm at this wedding feast, that I am the Messiah, he's making this messianic announcement. It's the same one. It's the same one who continues this messianic work by healing and by snatching life away from the brink of death. And Jesus, he does this whether uh, he's rightly trusted or not. In other words, whether this uh, person believed him or not. Now we see that this royal official, he came to him, um, but we don't read that he had great faith. Now there are other uh, uh, stories in the Gospels where we do see um, faith preceded the healing. But in all of John, every sign that is displayed, the faith comes after the sign, not beforehand. And so what that tells us is it doesn't really matter. Jesus is going to do what Jesus is going to do. And so are we going to get on board or are we not? And so this official didn't have faith until after his son was healed. And so what do we see? We see that the royal official heard what was taking place and he went to him. Um, and it's interesting, Jesus' response to the royal official when he asked to heal his son, his response is a rebuke. He's rebuking the man, but he's also rebuking everybody that's, that's around him, that's hearing um, this conversation. He says, unless you, and that you is plural, he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. You see, the people following Jesus, they were following him because of a faulty faith. They had seen signs, and they were more focused on the miracles and the signs and the wonders than Jesus as the person. Now, the official, when he comes to him, one thing we notice is that he doesn't enter into a theological debate with Jesus about whether or not he's the Messiah, right? We don't see that here, because after Jesus rebukes them, his response is, Sir, come down before my child dies. And I think we can take a lot from this. You see, when we face personal uh, tragedy, when, when we see sickness, when we see these things in, in, in our communities, in our life, theology is important, but we need to show people love. We need to go to them in that time of need and just show them love. Yes, we need to talk to them about the right way to believe God. Orthodoxy matters. Um, we need that but we need to display our love for those that are hurting. This man, uh, he was unlike uh, the other Galileans in that he wasn't just interested in signs and wonders to amaze him. He was interested in 
his son being healed. And Jesus replied, go, your son will live. And so one thing we can't take away from this is that this is not a prescription. This is not a prescription of uh, when we're in this situation, uh, Jesus is going to heal our family members. That's not what it is. This is a description of what took place and how Jesus used this to show his glory so that people would know that he is the Messiah and they would follow him. Again, there are examples of faith that precedes the healing. And in John, it's signs that are there to show he's the Messiah so that people will believe in him. And Jesus heals this man's son so that he will believe. That's God's grace. That's grace. This man did nothing. He didn't even really believe Jesus. It was out of desperation. It was out of hope that he went to him. Jesus heals him, and now he believes, and his whole household believes. Uh, Laura's parents, Dwayne and Carol, um, great godly people, um, they started having medical issues about five years ago. Um, started with my father-in-law with Dwayne. Um, he began to, uh, to show signs of dementia, and he um, uh, began forgetting things. And so uh, he was officially diagnosed, and they started him on medication to try to stop that. Well, not long after that, Carol, my mother-in-law, um, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so um, she had a lumpectomy. She was doing chemo. She lost her hair, scared the kids. Um, she would pull off her wig on purpose. It, it, if she were here, she would, she would tell you that was fun for her. Um, but, but she was going through all of this, and all the time we're, pr we're praying. We're asking for healing, right? This is Laura's parents. We want them to be healed. Well, not long after that, she's going through her recovery. Uh, she's getting better. Dwayne, my father-in-law, who has dementia, was diagnosed with colon cancer, with stage 4 colon cancer. And so now he's dealing with uh, colon cancer uh, Carol is um, recovering from uh, breast cancer, and, you know, they're fairly young. Uh, this is all happening in late 60s, um, and for Carol, she's 10 years younger, younger than Duane, so for her, um, it would be late 50s, early 60s. And so all of this has taken place. Well, then in the midst of Duane having colon cancer, dementia is progressing and getting worse, um, your sh short-term memory is just gone. He's got his long-term memory. Uh, well, then Carol uh, has another spot show up. And so now she has to start chemo again. And so then you have um, Carol and Dwayne literally sitting side by side in a chair in the hospital room getting their chemo together. It'd break your heart. <laughs> Um, that's not how you're supposed to live your retirement years. That's not what they had in mind. That's not, that was not their plan, right? Well, Carol gets better. Dwayne's cancer is not going away. It's not getting better. It metastasized. Uh, his dementia is not getting better. Um, in some ways, the dementia, we think it's Alzheimer's. In uh, some ways, it's kind of a, a, you know, it's got a pros to it in that he would go have chemo. He'd come home that day. And he would ask Carol, say, what did we do today? And she's like, you went and had chemo. He goes, I did? Chemo? And then he's like, well, why? You have cancer. I do? You know, so he would forget. He had cancer. He would forget he did chemo. He'd forget these things. Um, and so it was kind of a blessing and a, and a curse at times. Well, Carol is in full remission, and she's doing great. Uh, she is uh, doing wonderful. My father-in-law, on 
January 13th, excuse me, <clears throat> January 13th this year, he went to see Jesus. So does that mean we didn't have enough faith? Does that mean our prayers weren't answered? No, that's not what it means. It's not what it means at all. Jesus loves us. Jesus loves Dwayne. And my father-in-law is with Jesus right now. He was a Christian man. You see, when we get sick, sometimes God uses that sickness as a testimony. He can use the sickness just as much as he can use our health to show his glory, to show everyone who he is. And I tell you this um, because if today you're facing trials, if you're facing suffering of some sort, we cannot just rely and trust in God or love Jesus because of the outcome that we want, because of the signs that he performs. We love him for who he is, because eternity matters and eternity is at stake. That's why we love Jesus. We love him because he is the Messiah, because he is our Savior. And we see this in the text, that he brings salvation for the humble. This official, this royal official, uh, who was... Uh, attached to Herod, right? He was a part of Herod's government. Um, he humbled himself. He went to find Jesus. He sought him out. Um, and Jesus saved his son. And he believed in all of his household. That's the result. And so this second sign that we see is to one, it's to show God's glory. It's to show um, that God's power was at work through Jesus Christ. It also demonstrates that Jesus offers life. That's what he offers. We cannot dismiss and we should not dismiss that physical healing did occur. But underneath that, the underlying meaning is that Jesus offers eternal life. He offers eternal healing. That's what the signs are for, is to show you who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. That's why this is written. That's why this is recorded. That's why John wanted us to study this. John 20, 30 through 31 says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe. They're written so that you and I will believe that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the point. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about believing in Jesus, not just in what he can do. It's not that. It's believing who he is. He is God. He is God incarnate. He is the Word made flesh. That's what John is wanting us to know and wanting us to believe. So don't believe in Jesus for his supernatural abilities. Believe in Jesus because he is supernatural. It's who he is. He is God. Let's not be like the Galileans. Let's not miss the real Jesus because of our wants and our needs. Let's welcome him in a genuine way into our life because he is the only way to heaven. Like he told Nicodemus, we must be born again.
I pray that you are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for John.